I wanted to talk about political polarization and the mess that this nation and the world are in. Everybody talks about how people who disagree can't talk to each other anymore. We can't resolve conflict. And so things that could de-escalate end up escalating instead. I do it too. I get into debates or arguments where I shut down and I can't talk to the person. Though at least in my life, that trend is decreasing and decreasing more all the time. And I've also learned tremendously the times that I reverse that trend. I learn from people that I disagree with. Three examples that come to mind. Well, Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind, that's not something I disagreed with, but it gave me an overall picture of one way of looking at this that helped me understand what was going on. Then there's my friend who's skeptical of global warming. Most people would call him a climate denier, but I learned more from him because he knew more about the environment and had acted thoughtfully than a lot of people who didn't know that much. And maybe they were doing things that I liked, but they didn't know why. And then there are the Trump supporters that I spoke to after Trump's election victory, which you can read my Inc. articles on that. I think one of the main problems is education. If you know me, you know I favor teaching and learning social and emotional skills, not just academic analysis and abstract thinking, but social and emotional skills. I'll illustrate. First, complex systems. You probably know that if you have a complex system, you can poke it in one area and results happen elsewhere later. Like, for example, back pain, the human body is a complex system, and sometimes people will get back pain. You go to the doctor and the doctor points out that it was a foot injury that you had a while ago that you'd forgotten about. That's a property of complex systems. Sometimes you see something happen and it turns out that the cause of it was earlier and in some other place that you didn't think of. So that's the context. Recently, I attended Heterodox Academy's second annual summit. Heterodox Academy was co-founded by Jonathan Haidt. It's a group mainly of academics to promote viewpoint diversity. That is people from the left, from the right, all sorts of different views. And it brings together mostly academics, professors, administrators, students, with people interested in communicating with people that they disagree with. And promoting a culture like that, where all people can communicate with all different people with promotion of ideas and sharing of ideas, not of people shutting each other down, not of escalating into violence. So viewpoint diversity is kind of, I guess, is the term of art these days, as opposed to diversity. Now we have diversity with lots of people with different skin colors and genders and sexual orientations, but sometimes you'll get people with all that kind of diversity and they still think exactly the same and they behave exactly the same. So this group is trying to get diversity among viewpoints. So picture me in the room with a couple hundred academics. Up on stage, there's a panel. And this is a two-day affair, but this is one particular panel, which was about 90 minutes. One of the panelists is a guy named Coleman Hughes, a student actually at Columbia, where I went to school. One of the comments he makes about problems with the national dialogue, the national conversation, is he said, if you can't control your emotions, if when your emotions get intense, you can't manage your behavior, and you start getting carried away with these intense emotions, he said, you're part of the problem. The problem isn't people having different ideas. It's people getting carried away with these things. Okay, I tended to agree with that. If people get carried away with intense emotions and can't keep themselves in check, then they can no longer communicate effectively or productively or meaningfully, and the conversation breaks down. If someone on one side loses their ability to meaningfully communicate, that may lead someone with another position to lose their ability to communicate effectively. And then you have, well, I'm sure you've seen a lot of situations like that. Also on the panel was the president of a major liberal arts college. She agreed with him, and she said, we want to be able to teach students to be able to manage their emotions so they could communicate clearly. But she said she couldn't think of what class to teach them. If the problem is a lack of social and emotional skills, and more classes with less choice to the students undermines developing social and emotional skills, her suggestion exacerbates the problem. She wasn't saying to teach in a different way. She was saying to teach the same thing, at least as I understood her. As I see it, when we tell students what's important by telling them you must take this class and learn in this way and show that you learn in this particular way, we take away from them the ability to determine for themselves what they consider important. And without being able to act on what they consider important, they can't distinguish 
what's important, what's not important. All they can do is do what they're told. They learn to comply, but they don't learn to discover their values, act on their values, discern which ones they thought they held and really did, but others they thought they held but really didn't. Maybe a lot of times people take on values of parents or friends or the mainstream media that they don't really hold. And if they don't have to act on these things, no problem. But if they do have to act on these things, and actually we always have to act on these things, you don't want to learn what they are when push comes to shove. You want to know what they are from, that's what school is for. That's what education is for. Maybe not school these days, but that's what education is for, is to learn your values so you know what to act on. I spoke to the college president after the panel ended, and the panelists were also members of the community. So afterwards, she was just down with everybody else off the stage. And I spoke to her and I said, how we teach is more important than what we teach when we want to teach people social and emotional skills. If you know how I teach, I teach experientially, project-based, where I have students choose their projects, meaning they have to figure out and act on their values, which they rarely get the first time. Many times when students pick their projects, the first ones they pick you can tell it's something that maybe their parents wanted to do or it's something that's getting a lot of attention. Like it's, like it's a blockchain app or something like that, that probably it's not something that they're crazy about. And then they switch and they like the later one more, which tells me that when they learn how to identify what they care about, they become more sensitive and can act on what they care about and they can discern what they care about more. One of my takeaways is that after years of being told what's important, they don't really know what's important to themselves. Reading about Plato or Aristotle's views on values or contrasting them with Maya Angelou's And writing a paper on that doesn't teach you to learn your values nor to act on your values. Learning the psychology or how the mind works and how the mind processes different thoughts doesn't teach you to process your thoughts. Learning the psychology of emotions or any other traditional lecture-based reading, writing, case study method of emotions, it doesn't teach you to handle and process and manage your emotions. Any more than reading the rule book on basketball teaches you to play basketball or learning the history of art teaches you how to make art. There are all sorts of other social and emotional skills. I'm just talking about some. I recommend my books and my courses because the exercises in them teach you social and emotional skills. In any case, students have many times told me that they didn't know that they could learn these skills, especially not in a class. I guess they've come to view school as not developing this part of them. My leadership classes teach us self-awareness, especially of emotions, how to identify them, how to create emotions that you want, not just to be a slave to emotions, specifically what Coleman was describing as part of the problem or a solution to the problem. But I didn't want to sound to the college president like I was selling my courses, though her school would benefit from them. So instead of talking about my courses, I said that we used to teach social and emotional skills like this through sports and the arts, not art appreciation or art history or music appreciation, music history, but performance, putting your art up so that people can see it on stage or singing or painting and putting it up on the wall so people can see it and judge it. And you can have to deal with people's judging your stuff judging what you think is beautiful and you think is true and saying they don't like it or they can think it's terrible and you got to get back up and do it. Everyone knows the following, but I'll still point out that for decades, we've cut recess, the arts, and anything that we can't measure with standardized tests in favor of standardized tests, which don't help students learn. In particular, by telling students what is important, at least in the minds of bureaucrats, because it's not students or teachers that are ordering these standardized tests. They deprive students of learning their values for themselves. By being abstract, academic, and impersonal, they, these administrators, these educators, these would-be educators, I should say, they deprive students of developing social and emotional skills. I just talked about K-12, but the trend is the same at universities. The priorities there are academic. It's how to become more like a professor or pre-professional, not how to think for yourself. It's all about other people's values, sticking them on the students. 
This exposed what I consider a major part of the problem. If we try to resolve these problems to teach students things at universities where everybody's an academic, you know the old phrase, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. All these academics, they've learned, if you look at the subject, they're brilliant. If you look at behavior, what they're teaching is compliance. So they feel like I'm just teaching them the subject. If I teach them about psychology, they'll learn what they need to do. But they, they learn the subject, but they don't learn the skills. And they exit our educational system like someone who took a lot of classes on baseball and you put them out to try to swing a bat and they've never held a bat before. They flail, they flounder, they don't know what to do. And you get the world that we have today. With administrators saying, we should have taught them more classes. What more can we teach them about baseball and about sports without actually having them swing a bat? When you perform on stage, you can flub your lines or a critic can pan you, but you have to get back up the next performance. You learn resilience. You learn to feel emotions and handle them. What Coleman points out that we've been losing the ability to do. It's the same if you make art to put up on a wall, photography, sculpture, or to read or show anything where you put yourself out there. Your idea of beauty, your idea of artistic truth. You learn to read yourself to express yourself authentically, to think independently, not just as a signed. It's the same also if you play sports where you can lose. Everybody loses sometime. Muhammad Ali lost. Meryl Streep got panned. Our schools don't allow such results anymore. Students don't learn social and emotional skills. And the result, like the foot injury that led to back pain a week later, is a population that can't talk to each other. First, they don't know how to resolve conflict. Then they feel bad that they can't resolve it. When they feel bad that they can't resolve the conflict or manage their emotions, they resort to calling for an authority and everything escalates because people can't handle things themselves. They can't talk among themselves. I'm oversimplifying. There are lots of other causes. I'm not saying this is everything, but the lack of social and emotional skills is a big one. It will resolve the problem that Coleman described. I want to go back to the social emotional skills and learning them for a second. Amazingly, if you give everyone the exact same instructions for how to play scales on the piano or how to hold a baseball bat or how to practice their lines in a play, everybody develops his or her unique style. This style of learning teaches authentic communication in both directions. So speaking and going outward, as well as listening and taking in as well. Anyway, back to the college president. At this point in the story, I'd suggested that instead of what we teach, we consider how we teach, which I'd heard almost no one at this summit suggest. Her response was, she said, but sports can make people feel very bad. How would we get around that? That's the point. The point is, yes, you feel bad, but you feel bad in a case where it's not that big a deal. The student might not know that at the time. It might feel really horrible in the moment, but students learn and you develop. I'm not suggesting high school players practice with the NFL. It's you learn with people at your skill level and then you develop together. And yeah, you're going to face troubles. You face these feelings that you don't really like. You handle them in the way that everybody learns how if you start with the basics and you build and build and build. And then you have people who learn how to handle their emotions. I suspect she hadn't really played sports, though I can't say. I don't know her history, but she didn't get the point of sports. Yes, you feel bad. I told her that was the point, that sports make you feel bad. Everybody, just like sports lead to injuries, recovering from them develops these skills that lecture does not. We didn't continue much past there because others were waiting to talk to her and she had to talk to them. But the interaction was consistent with all of my interactions at the summit. I call these problems arch problems. Because they're like an arch. If you think an arch, you know, the structure in uh, architecture is weak and might fall. If you try to support it from below, you'll actually weaken it more, which might lead you to see it as yet more weak and lead you to support it more. Eventually, the arch fails or you end up having to support it all by yourself. Arches work by holding tension. To make them stronger, you have to put weight on them. Likewise, 
protecting students too much makes them more dependent, requiring more protection. If you keep protecting them and making them more dependent, leading to more protection, eventually, like the arch, they will fail or you end up having to support them all by yourself. In Coleman's terms, when they can't handle their emotions, they become the problem. After a few generations, you create a culture of dependence, of a culture, not just students, but adults, lacking resilience. My prescription for the individual, for you, if you haven't, practice smart, play some sports, take my classes over lecture and telling students what's important. For culture, restore free play, restore sports, not where parents are telling everyone what to do, but where kids figure things out for themselves. Restore the arts, performance arts, not art history, not AP history, not AP art, not AP stuff where you're getting tested on it, but things where you perform, where you put what you think is beautiful and true up for others to see, others to pan, and let students figure out for themselves how to handle these things. 